What is good, everybody? This is the Views from the 573 Podcast, the podcast that is not sitting out its starters this week as we get ready for the playoffs. I'm your host, Ryan McDaniel, and welcome to 2024, everybody. It's great to have you in here with another year with this podcast. And we got some fun stuff to talk about with the CFP, with the playoffs. One excellent day for college football. It was on New Year's Day with Michigan beating Alabama, with Washington being Texas, with a national title game between two undefeated teams, two soon-to-be Big Ten rivals. So I guess you can say it's an all-Big Ten title game for the national title. So we got that to talk about. We got the NFL to talk about with the week with week 18 with the matchups coming down this week with a lot of teams sitting out some starters some playoff implications are still up in the air some draft implications are still up in the air too as far as draft order so a lot of stuff to be going on this week as far as who's going to be where for the next few days so we got that to cover there's also a bit of nba news that we'll talk about here trade with the raptors and knicks going on with OG Anubi going to the Knicks and talk about that deal here for a little bit. That will probably be closing, but we got this NFL, we got this college football stuff we need to talk about first. So we'll get into that. But if you haven't yet, be sure to go check out the show. Be sure to go review us, subscribe, follow us, wherever you guys get your podcasts. Check us out on YouTube, 573 Podcast. Share with a friend, subscribe comment all that good stuff and find us on social media at 573 pods so let's talk about these games here real quick and we'll talk a little bit about the other bowl games that happened but before these two major ones and we'll also preview the national title game on monday so let's start off with the rose bowl michigan alabama and you know to kind of start us off here these two games were exactly kind of like how I thought they were going to go down. That this was that these two were going to be low scoring games. That one was going to be a low scoring game. One was going to be a high scoring game. Alabama, Michigan. It was twenty twenty heading into overtime. Texas, Washington, high scoring game that went right down to the wire. Kind of like how I expected it to go. One being high scoring, and Michigan, Bama being the low scoring game. And looking at the Michigan-Bama game, man, it, 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 exactly what it was will be talked about with it being a game where it's really dependent on the trenches, the line of scrimmages. And you could see the difference there in both of them. Bama's defense against Michigan's offensive line, which we talked about. Michigan has lost a couple pieces. Zach Zinner lost him in the Ohio State game. They did well. They held their own against Bama's defense. And Michigan, their collective pass rushing unit, they uh, they made Bama look vulnerable in that regard. And if you remember, Bama earlier in the year, they gotten better about it. But they had given up a lot of sacks. At one point, it was up there with as far as Power 5 programs. And they kind of reverted back here. But you can also give credit to that Michigan defense Jesse Minner, their defensive coordinator for having a game plan where you had Brady McGregor making a couple big plays, Mason Graham having some big stops there. There's also a lot of tackles for loss here from the Michigan defense, gotten that backfield a ton. 
And really, Milrow was that was that only source of offense. And that Michigan defense, that secondary, really kind of shut down the Bama passing game for the most part. With Will Johnson, Sandra Steele, Rod Moore. Rod Moore made a huge tackle on Milrow late that prevented a touchdown and really kind of saved Michigan right there. But this Michigan defense really came to play. And they did really well. And, you know, 20 points, I'm sure they're going to like, well, we wish we could have allowed a little bit less than that. But they did something that no team that's played Bama has done before this year. And they held them to a season low of total yardage. So they did really well against Bama in this game. And looking up and pulling up the stats here. But... Yeah, Bama, they did rush for a little over 100 yards here, and McClellan did have a couple touchdowns. But other than that, Milrow was the guy that you had to focus on to get offense. And the passing game, Milrow wasn't that great in. If you take a look at it, the lead receiver was Isaiah Bond for 47 yards, four catches. Not a whole lot going on there with the passing game. And you take a look at it on the opposite side with Michigan's passing game with J.J. McCarthy. He almost had that costly turnover on the first play of the game. And then it got overturned, and you're like, oh, boy, man. And he struggled at times in this game. But when it mattered most, he came through in the clutch. He made some excellent throws. That one throw to Roman Wilson, where the ball is tipped, and Roman makes an excellent play on the ball, is able to get more yards out of that, yards after the catch, and get Michigan in good position. That was a huge play from those two. McCarthy did have three passing touchdowns on the day. And what could have been the story of this game was the special teams. And Michigan had some special teams blunders that were kind of shocking to see a team like them have. Uh, Samaj Morgan, he had a muffed punt. It was in that situation where he's trying to, you know, catch it on the bounce or something like that. And you're like, okay, well, why does he do that? So they make the change. They go to Jake Thaw, who has a little bit more experience in that late situation where it's tied at 20 and you're thinking Michigan's going to get the ball back. They're going to have decent field position. They got some timeouts here to work with. They can go down and win this game and win in walk-off fashion. And that didn't happen because Thaw muffed the punt too. But, you know, it credit him or like, Listen, I got all these eyes on me in the Rose Bowl, one of the best bowl games in history with that backdrop. And I got all these eyes on me. I got to go and get this play. And he got rocked when he got that ball back. But Michigan was pretty much dead to rights there. And you're like, okay, well, let's run out the clock here and let's play for overtime. And then you also had a botched extra point in which a long snapper just like hiked it too far back. And that extra point kind of loomed the herge a little bit too. Because if they had made that extra point, probably wouldn't have gotten a lot of praise for his strength on that right side. And he got pushed back on that play. And Milrow got stuffed back there. But that, that was excellent. That was an excellent game plan from the Michigan defense on that play. Now, was it 
the right play, I think, for Alabama. Yes, put the ball in the guy that can go and make the plays that has really come on this year after the terrible start that he had. I probably would have gone maybe outside instead of just going right up the middle and try to say, hey, Michigan, try to stop me going outside. But they went inside and got stuffed. And now Michigan is playing for the national title game. Also, got to give a shout out to Blake Corum, who broke the all-time rushing touchdowns record at Michigan with 56 now. So it's kind of crazy to see that happen with the talent that's come through that running back room at Michigan. But now he's the record holder. And he had a couple of grown man runs in this game. Uh, There's, I think, one in overtime that I remember where, like, he just made a grown man run where it could have been, like, a three- or four-yard gain, but he made it eight. And that's what mattered. But Michigan wins 27-20. And Harbaugh and company get the big victory over Bama after their luck in the CFP. They get the win there. So next one up, we got Washington and Texas. And this was kind of exactly what we thought with Texas secondary and how poor they were that Washington, with their excellent passing game, was going to be able to exploit it. And that's what they did. Michael Penix Jr. was on one. He was an excellent passer of the football in this one. 29-38, 430 yards, two touchdowns. His average completion was over 11 yards. <laughs> That's well over a first down. He was on one. And with how Texas secondary was a weakness, you kind of expected it. They hit Jalen Polk early with a big one, 77 yards. And he had himself a touchdown this one too. Roma Dunze, six catches, 125. They were on one. McMillan, Westover, the tight end. The, they all had over 50 yards. Dylan Johnson did get hurt in this one, did have a couple touchdowns. It does sound like he's going to be back for the championship game, so that's good to hear. Want Washington at full strength. But Penix had himself an excellent game against this Texas team and did what they were able to do. Well, this was a good matchup for him, and they exploited it. And now you're seeing a lot of talk about with Penix excellent game here about maybe him rising up draft boards now maybe we're prisoners of the moment here and we see this and like Penix had a good game and it was against a secondary that was not all that great it had some problems during the year but I'll tell you what if he does this against Michigan sure yeah he's gonna rise up boards and he should if he does that against Michigan if he's able to do what he did against Texas, against Michigan, against that defense, yeah, like he's going to go top 10 because there's going to be a su- supply and demand thing for quarterbacks with teams that are going to need quarterbacks. And he might find himself in that top 10 conversation, might even find himself in the top five conversation and might push down some players down the board that are really good, like Brock Bowers, like Malik Neighbors, like his teammate Odunze. Uh, Dallas Turner is another one. Like he might, those excellent tackles for Shadu and Alt, he might knock those guys down if he does really well against Michigan. Now, if he does all right 
he'll still probably find his way into that conversation just because teams need quarterbacks and they see what he did against a good program like Texas and like, well, that's notable. Maybe we should consider him. So I guess let's just hold off. And But if he does have this game on Monday night, yeah, I think you can pencil him in into those potential top 10, top five conversations and want we'll to see how the draft order plays out. But yeah, he had himself an excellent game. Texas, on the other hand, bad some bad management towards the end of that game. And I'll tell you what, though, I did think like, oh, man. Well, honestly, Washington and Texas, some bad management there at the end. I wondered, and I was like, oh, man, Texas is going to find a way to come back because they hit a couple big plays there at the towards the end and like, oh, man, this is setting up for Texas to find a way to come back. And, you know, you had the Dylan Johnson injury, which you hate that it happened, but it cost some time for Washington and not being able to run some time off where Texas maybe could, maybe might not have another possession that would have gone that, that length of the field. And Texas gets the ball back. Ewers hits a couple guys. He had, He went over 300 yards. And Washington, they got to them twice. Texas heralded the defense that front. They got a lot of pressures, but no sacks. This Washington offense line kept Penix upright, and they've been doing that a lot this year. That offense line's really good. They got a guy in Fatanu that's going to go in the first two rounds, I think. And so this offensive line did their part in keeping Penix upright. And Washington's defense, they did enough to come to play. They had a couple of fumbles that they got and a couple sacks, tackles for loss, played a big part in that as well. And really, Texas' big play receivers, Mitchell and Worthy, they were held in check. Mitchell did have the touchdown, and then Mitchell had a play for the ball that could have put Texas up, but that was a excellent play by I got Elijah Jackson who had that excellent play there at the end I think that's who it was and just knocked it out made sure Mitchell didn't have it but you take a look at those two guys combined they only had 77 yards with you know six catches and that that's not going to cut it and against Washington's defense who hasn't been great all, all this season you would have hoped to exploit that a little bit more and get your big-time weapons some more opportunities there. But Washington wins this one, and this was kind of what we expected it to be with a high-scoring game. goes right down to the wire, 37-31. to Washington, 14-0, heading to the national title game. And let's talk about the national title game, and then we'll talk about the rest of the bowl season with these other games. A couple things to talk about here as far as the 5-7-3 group, but let's talk about this title game here real quick. Big 10 versus the Pac-12, and again, we mentioned it. Maybe you can say Big 10 versus Big 10. They're going to play each other in the upcoming regular season. So a little bit of a welcoming party for Washington from Michigan. But you take a look at this one, Big 10 versus Pac-12, and I think the original CFP was kind of like this with Oregon and Ohio State. So what a way to throw it back. 
to the original national title game with the CFP as we got two teams with completely different styles. And let me tell you, I, I'll go ahead and say this. I think Michigan does win this game, I think, for a couple different reasons. I think you, you take a look at this sort of matchup. This is exactly the type of matchup I think that Michigan's defense can show why they're as good as they are. You mentioned that uh, we mentioned that collective pass rush that they have, where you got those guys up front, and then you got your linebackers and Colson and Barrett that played good, and then you got your secondary guys and more Sanders Steele, Will Johnson, who Johnson is going to be. I think he's going to be watching Adunze like a hawk in this game, where he's going to be attached to him by the hip and watching him. It, that was pretty much how he was against Marvin Harrison Jr. And so I imagine that's what he's going to be like in this game. But you take a look at Michigan's defense, it's kind of in that same mold of Georgia's defense in which you see these high-powered offenses come in. What's one thing you can do is limit the amount of possessions that they get and make those possessions that they do get matter all that much more in which I think Michigan, with this defense, they – They built it to find a way to stop Ohio State and their passing attack and their good offense with all those good receivers. I think this is exactly what defense they need to go up against this Washington offense. And they're going to need to force Washington's offense to really earn all those big plays that they have or Penix to to really earn all those big-time throws that he made in that first game to make him earn it in this game. And maybe see if they can get any pressure on him. Again, that Washington front was really good. And I think the only defense that they've seen that's been kind of like this has been Oregon's. But it's not on the level of Michigan's. As far as the physicality, as far as the whole team unit on that side of the ball coming together, the stopping the opposing team's offense, it's not like that. And so if you're looking at this matchup, I think potentially Michigan can win in a shootout if they're forced to. I am unsure if Washington can because we've seen them struggle a couple times this year when they've been in those types of situations. Now, they've won. There's a reason why they're undefeated, and there's a reason why they're here. But I think Michigan, I think they can, especially if you know with McCarthy, with that running game, if the McCarthy from the last part of the Bama game shows up, then I think Michigan certainly can do it. But if you're taking a look at this game, it's a contrast in styles. Which style is going to win out in the end? And for Washington, who their defense, they're going to be prepared for a really physical game up front and stopping that run game of Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards and making sure they keep those two in check. And you take a look at their defense, it's actually kind of crazy. You know, in scoring defense, they're really good. Total defense, they're not that great. And, which, I mean, that's kind of what you want to be, like a bend but don't break defense. You give up a lot of yards, but you make sure the opposing team doesn't score. 
And so that's kind of the definition of a bend, but don't break defense. And you take a look at that type of defense that they have. There's been a couple teams in recent history that have had similar stats on that side of the ball. LSU, um, you know, there's another team I think I heard mention, but their defenses were a little bit better in these two stats than Washington's were. So Washington, their defense is going to be up against it. They're going to have a physical game on their hands, and they're going to have to be ready for it. So, I again, I think the narrative of this title game is going to be which style wins out in the end. Is it going to be Michigan and them having a strong run game with McCarthy making some big plays and a couple key spots and limiting possessions for Washington? Because, you know, listen, it doesn't matter as far as time of possession how long Washington has the ball. Now, if they can get it quick, then good. But I think for Washington, they need to get the Michigan defense tired and, you know, make them have them make substitutions a lot more than they would in normal games, in normal situations. So maybe get your scoring drives quick, but maybe if you can find a way to get a turnover, get an, steal an extra possession, then that can really help. But if Washington doesn't have as many possessions as they normally do per game, then that's in Michigan's favor. And that makes those Washington drives all the more important. And, you know, getting a field goal or something. But if Michigan, if they're able to hold Washington to field goals or get a stop on third down, or maybe Washington goes for it on fourth down, then that's considered a win. Even if they score three points, that's like, hey, it's a win. We held them the three points. Let's go and see what we can do on the offensive side of the ball. So this one is going to be a fun one. I am going to take Michigan in this one, and uh, there's going to be a lot of talk about what's, what Harbaugh is going to do next afterwards, but we're just going to have to wait and see. But I'm anticipating this one to be a fun one in Houston on Monday night. And uh, it's going to be sad to see the college football season come to a close, but what a better way to come to a close than with number one versus number two, 14-0 versus 14-0 with a contrast in styles. There's no better way to end it. So I'm taking Michigan to win this one. I will be kind of pulling for the for the Huskies. I guess, you know, Michigan, I went through this last week. Michigan, Bama, Texas, eh, don't care about them. Washington, sure, fine. Maybe it's because I forget if this was in midseason or in the preseason. I don't know. Uh, maybe Rebecca can go back and check in on these and, and see if I, which one it was. But I think I made the comment that Panix felt like, to me, he was going to be in for a Hendon Hooker type of season number two and that system and I, I i guess so i guess i didn't know how Ryan was going to be in that but also just like how similar this washington team was to that 2022 team that i love so much now granted washington they did they pulled their weight they went undefeated but it's still notable to take in the similarities between them so maybe that's why but i'm going to take 
the Wolverines here to win this one, get to 15-0. and 0. And uh, maybe we'll see a new coach on the sidelines for Michigan for the next time these two teams meet in the regular season. So uh, it's not going to be long before these two teams see each other here in a few months. So uh, whoever wins this one is going to have some bragging rights, and whoever loses it is like, well, it's not exactly revenge because it's the biggest game of the of the year, but maybe we can feel a little bit better about it if we beat them later on. So Michigan, I'm taking them on Monday night and excited to see what happens at Houston. So with that being said, let's take a look at all the rest of these other bowl games, and we're going to go through them as quickly as we can. And got to remember where we left off. I think it was around SMU and Boston College, where SMU ended up losing to Boston College. Rutgers, Miami, and Rutgers winning that one. You wondered how much those two wanted to be there, particularly Miami. I think Rutgers probably wanted to be there more than Miami, and I think that kind of showed here with Rutgers getting the win there, technically kind of a home game for them, and winning 31-24. to Arizona, Oklahoma, and the Alamo Bowl, exciting game, Arizona, Gets to 10 wins. A remarkable season by them beating Oklahoma. What a way to end their season. Jackson Arnold, the freshman quarterback for Oklahoma. Decent game. Went for over 360 yards. Did have three picks. But he's going to be OU starter next year. Good learning experience for him. Arizona gets the win there. Gets the 10 wins. All right, next one up, we got the Hot Tarts Bowl. The Herald Hot Tarts Bowl. And Kansas State wins it 28-19. to 19. Of course, if you've seen all the stuff on Twitter or X or whatever with the, with the Pop-Tart mascot, it was spectacular. It was awesome. <laughs> Just to see how all it went down. I mean, this is why we love college football right here. I mean, what happened on Monday with those two games and stuff like this. <laughs> it's why we love this sport. So Kansas State gets a win there, 28 28- to 19 get their ninth win of the season then next one up we've got clemson and kentucky in this one this one was a close game went right down to the wire as well with clemson winning 38 to 35 and 28 points in that fourth quarter an explosive fourth quarter for this clemson team who had got hot late and found some something on offense. Klovnik went for over 264 yards. Did have a pick. Bill Moffa had himself a day, though. 71 yards, four touchdowns on the day. So he did well. And Clemson gets a big-time win, even though their offensive line gave up eight sacks and 12 tackles for loss to this Kentucky team. They found a way to win there at the end and win 38-35. to so, in the Battle of Tigers and Wildcats, the Tigers win. Notre Dame versus Oregon State. Took Notre Dame in this one and did not disappoint there. Oregon State was just missing too many pieces, whether it's on the coaching staff or whether it's in the transfer portal. Just did not look like the same team. And next year, they're going to be led by Riley Leonard, the Duke, former Duke quarterback. So, we'll see how this Notre Dame team looks, but they get the win 42-8, get to 10 wins on the season and then 
Here in the Liberty Bowl, not too far away from me, Memphis and Iowa State. Memphis winning by 10, 36 to 26. And a fun game environment for Memphis there, getting their 10th win of the season, getting to 10 and 3. Then on Saturday, we had some of our New Year's Six Bowl games. We had two of them Georgia, Florida State. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly think Kirby Smart has a point with what his comments were with his comments and saying, like, we got to do something and figure something out about this. But in regards to this game, because Georgia's just completely outclassed Florida State, winning by 60 points, scoring 35 in the second, and just completely dominating this game. And, you know, it, it hurts. And, you know, probably at least Florida State with a sour taste in their mouth uh, with how the season went. But Georgia, they get the win there, 63-3. Ole Miss and Penn State, kind of what we thought how this game was going to go with Ole Miss's offense and outlasting Penn State's defense, who's been really good all season long. But again, a couple head scratching decisions from Franklin. Ole Miss, their offense, Jackson Dart, 379, three touchdowns. Priest Corn, the tight end, going for two touchdowns and 136, and Judkins going over 100 yards. So Ole Miss, if I had to pick a team that's got a lot of momentum that didn't make the playoff, it's probably this team with a big-time win here with what they got in the transfer portal. They got some serious momentum next year. I think you're going to look at some preseason polls, and they're going to be ranked in the top 10 when those come out. So they move on. They get the win there. Get They get 11 wins. Auburn, Maryland. Maryland takes care of Auburn, and Auburn disappoints the SEC and falls to 6-7. and seven. And Maryland, without Talia Tungvaloa, gets the win, scores 21 in the first quarter, and that pretty much kind of set the tone there. And Maryland gets the win there, gets to 8-5. and five. Wyoming, I believe we pick them. Their coach was retiring, and they get the win for their coach. A one-point win for their old coach, so cutting it close there, 16-15 to 15 over Toledo in the Marshall Sports Arizona Bowl. Next one up, we got the Reliquest Bowl with Wisconsin and LSU. And this one was high scoring. And with Wisconsin, almost kind of didn't expect this with how their season had gone. 7-5 team. They showed a lot of fight. Malik Neighbors did play in this game. He passed, I believe, Josh Reed for LSU's all-time receiving record. And when you think about that, it's like we had Odell, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and we've had a lot of others throughout the years. Like, really? None of those guys have passed that record? So there you go. And he passed it. LSU gets the win there, 35-31. Uh, Nussmeyer, the quarterback, went for nearly 400 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, if you're Wisconsin, maybe you kind of build on this with this offense. And you're like, okay, maybe we found something here heading into next season. But LSU gets a win. They get the 10 wins, 35-31. And I believe that was the first game on New Year's Day. One of the other games, New Year's Six, Oregon Liberty. Liberty struck first, but after that, eh, not so much. Oregon, 45 to 6, 28 point second quarter. Bo Nixon in his last game at Oregon, 365 and five touchdowns. So 
great way to cap off his Oregon career and his college career as he's now done. He doesn't have any eligibility left, I think, at least. And then the final New Year's Day game to talk about. I purposely didn't leave this one for last. I swear I didn't. Uh, Iowa, Tennessee in the Cheez-Its Citrus Bowl with the five-star quarterback, Nico Iamaliava, starting in his first game. And I honestly think it was for the better that he got to sit this whole year and face a top-five defense. He wasn't ready then. He's somewhat ready now. Didn't make some freshman mistakes, but he also had a lot of good bright spots. Kind of looked like Dobbs and Hooker and how elusive he was and running the ball. He had four total touchdowns, three of them rushing, and he lost some yardage because of sacks in Tennessee. We're, We're missing some starters on the offensive line. But overall, I did like what I see. He showed a lot of stuff for a true freshman that is hard to see. He had one really impressive throw in which he got out of the pocket, extended the play, and that's one thing he can do where I think Milton lacked, in which I think he can do that and he can pick up the offense really quickly. So I'm excited to see that carry on the 24 with an intact offensive line in which you're going to have a lot of your starters back. You're going to have some guys back at receiver. Bruce McCoy's announced he's coming back. So there's going to be experienced group at wide receiver. You hope they get better, and there's an experienced group at offensive line. I think that should help the young quarterback make life easier next year. But overall, please, with how well this team played, and how well he played. Uh, James Pierce, that's got to keep an eye on as far as the draft next year. He looked like an animal out there. I believe it was like one and a half, two sacks, a forced fumble, and a pick six. And he honestly looked better than our defensive backs, and which is kind of funny and somewhat sad at the same time. But I'll tell you what, he looked good out there. So excited for 24 and uh, see what it has in store for this UT team. But they get the win over Iowa's team, 35-0. to zero, And that Iowa offense was as bad as everybody was saying it is. Good grief. I mean, oh, boy. I could think of a whole lot better teams, potentially in high school. They could probably score more on UT or maybe in Division two teams, if we're not going that low, that could have done more than uh, Iowa did. So that's the final bowl game that we're covering, and all that is left is the national championship on Monday night. And that will put a capper on college football. And unless something big happens, we might not be talking college football here until around July. So it'll be a few months. But we'll still have NFL to get us through everything, some NBA, and we'll have some baseball a little bit later on. But it's going to be sad to see this sport that we all love go on Monday. But there's still the offseason, talking season. A lot of stuff can happen. So should be fun. So let's go on to the NFL. Let's talk about the final week or the penultimate week of the season. Week 17 here, starting off with our Thursday night game in which we had Joe Flacco once again going off on the uh, on the Jets, having a, another great game and getting the Browns the victory there, getting 11 wins. I mean, it's a remarkable story with what Flacco's been doing. I don't know how many times we can say it. A 309, three touchdowns in this game. The Joku's actually been really heating up as well in the last few weeks. 
So that can be a bright spot for Cleveland. He, he had 134 on six catches in this game. So the Browns get the win 37 to 20 in this one. Then on Saturday, we got the Lions and Cowboys, and we got to talk about it. The controversial play towards the end of the game, in which, you know, I got to hear this on the radio happen. And it was like, oh man, the Lions are going for it, which. I mean, no surprise with how this Lions team and Dan Campbell, how, with how they are, it's no surprise they were going to go for it. I do wonder, looking back on it, if they don't go for the extra point and play for overtime because they did look a little bit better from what I've heard than Dallas did at times, even though he, on the other side he had CeeDee Lamb going for 227 and touchdown. So, yeah, besides that, probably so. But the Lions think they got the two-point conversion, are up 21-20, and the Cowboys are going to have to try to find a way to get back and win this game. But according to the refereeing crew, which apparently they're not going to be in the playoffs and refereeing these games, considering they've been a part of two others. I believe it was the same crew that had the play with the Packers and Chiefs game, where it should have been P.I., and it wasn't. I think there's another game where there's a controversial call too. But all this talk about who reported eligible. And it does sound like Taylor Decker, who caught the two-point conversion, does sound like he was reporting it as eligible. And that the head referee, Brad Allen, was thinking that it was Dan Skipper. So... This getting ring getting rid of all that if the fixes in talk. I think it's just like a, a guy made a mistake in a crucial situation. I think that's probably why the lines are up in arms about it. You know, crucial mistake at that point in the game in which they could have won and could have really put Dallas behind the eight ball, considering what happened with Arizona and Philly on Sunday. Could have really hurt Dallas there. And, you know, I think I, I read something where it talked about, you know, talking about deception with this kind of stuff. And Dan Campbell did bring up a good point. Hey, defense is disguised coverage. That's deception. You know, so what do you want to do? Take that away? So I, I, I don't know. But Lions messed it up there at the end. Kind of got messed, messed and screwed over by the refs and – with how they handled that, they did get two more chances <laughs> to to go and try to get it. But you had the offsides against Micah, and then they get try number three and then get it. So Cowboys, they get the win, twenty two nineteen, and they stay perfect at home. Going to go a no at home this year, and got a road game against the Commanders on Sunday. And talking about Sunday on New Year's Day, let's talk about these games. Titans, Texans, kind of how I expected. You know, C.J. Stroud, good game from him. Titans didn't really show all that much to begin with. 26-3. Texans were pretty much just running out the clock there towards the end and, you know, taking guys out. So times weren't bringing any competition. So 26-3 in favor of the Texans. 
and they move on to nine and seven. Next up, we got the Falcons and Bears, and went with the Bears in this one. And Chicago gets the win there, thirty-seven to seventeen. Which maybe Atlanta takes a look at that and is like, you know what? We'll take Justin Fields, it, Chicago. If you're wanting to go for Caleb, we'll take him off your hands. Here's like a second or third round pick. Maybe they saw this like, okay, let's go get him. In this game, he had 268 yards, got sacked three times. They have a touchdown, 20 of 32, and rushed for 45 yards and a touchdown. So well over 300 total yards and a couple of touchdowns. So good game from him. DJ Moore, that connection is hitting right now, 159 and a touchdown. And that Bears defense, again, we talked about it, it's improved so much. And even though they got sacked three times, they only got two sacks and got one tackle for loss, they did get eight quarterback hits, and they did get three interceptions. So that's big time as well. So that defense is playing on another level right now, and I think you can point to that for the turnaround. But also Fields is playing somewhat better. And again, maybe Atlanta takes a look at this and like, hmm, maybe we can get him. So there's that game with the Bears getting to 7-9 and nine on the season, but they're still going to be picking number one. So there's a potential they'll have two top 10 picks, but we'll have to see what happens on Sunday. Next one up, Raiders-Colts. Big game for both these teams. Raiders still fighting for playoff positioning. And I believe they are done as far as that is concerned. Colts still alive, went 23-10. to Despite Devontae Adams having a really good game, 126, two touchdowns on my fantasy bench. <laughs> but Colts get the win by three, and they stay in the chase with a big week ahead of them as they're facing the Texans on Saturday night. So big one there for both of them. Next one up, we have Bucks Saints, and went with the Bucks on this one, and the Saints showed a little bit of life here in this one. Baker threw a couple picks in this one, despite going for over 300 and a couple touchdowns. But Derek Carr and the Saints, they're still alive as well. They're 8-8. Eight and eight. They're still kicking it and seeing if they can go dancing in the postseason. And Carr, two touchdowns in this one. Even though he went for less than 200 yards, uh, Jawan Johnson, big game for him, 90 yards and a touchdown. But the Saints defense, they came to play. Two sacks, five TFLs, six the pass deflections, three QB hits. So they came to play in this one, and they they stay alive as far as the postseason race is concerned. Buccaneers did try to come back, though, with 13 points in the fourth quarter. But losing by 10, Saints still alive. Next one up, we got Ravens, Dolphins, the premier game of the week. And the Ravens did what we seem to do to the 49ers at their place. Lions, believe they did something similar like this to the Jags. I believe there's another team I'm missing that they did this to at home. And they win by an absolutely insane score of, what was it, 56 to 19. That defense played extremely well. They had a couple of takeaways. And they secure 
that number one seed. Now, you remember years ago when they had the number one seed and they rested guys, that didn't play out so well. And I kind of forgot that it was against my Titans that it happened against. But don't have to worry about that. So, Matt, you don't have to worry about Derrick Henry making Earl Thomas a fullback in this one. <laughs> but Ravens, 56-19, Lamar has officially secured the MVP. He has it. And if he doesn't, I mean, it, it's it's a tragedy that in the if he doesn't win it, because he's played extremely well these last these last two weeks to secure it. Eighteen to twenty one, three twenty one, five touchdowns, no picks. Been playing on another level. Thirty five yards rushing as well. He's got it. I think he's. I fully think he's got it in the back now with how well they played. Again, the Ravens, they got the Tua a little bit, got a couple interceptions, sacked them three times. Tyreek was held under 100 yards. Yeah, they forced a fumble as well. A-chain, 107 yards, so a decent day from him. But this Ravens team, they're clicking right now. And Zay Flowers, talk about a good game from him. Justice Hill had some big plays to make in this game. With yeah, himself a touchdown. Uh, but yeah, Zay Flowers, three catches, 106 yards, and a touchdown. Isaiah Likely, two catches, two touchdowns, 42 yards. He's really seen an uptick in production. He's done really well since Mark Andrews has left the lineup with injury. So he's done really well. And let's we'll see if Mark Andrews does come back. I don't know about his status, but hey, with the Likely playing pretty well right now, you got a couple tight ends that can be some difference makers there. So the Ravens get the win, secure the one seed, and I fully believe Lamar has secured the MVP 56-19 to against the Dolphins. And that Dolphins narrative about you know beating good teams, you know, it was on hold for one week, then this happened. So, yeah. Steelers, Seahawks. Steelers get the win here, and the Steelers are somehow still alive here for playoff positioning. And I, I know Peter's kind of beside himself right now with what's going on with Tomlin and the Steelers and Mason Rudolph still somewhat playing well. I mean, talk about that on your bingo card. Mason Rudolph coming in here and giving you solid performances. Didn't see that coming. Didn't have a touchdown pass, but he did go for 274, 18 to 24. So good day. Didn't make any mistakes. Najee, 122 and two touchdowns. Had himself a day. And George Pickens. Continues to have himself some big-time days here as we close the season. Seven catches, 131 yards. You know, maybe it won't be as fun, but maybe we can make the connection here with Rudolph and Pickens like we did with Rudolph and James Washington. (laughs) You know, they got chemistry, even though they didn't go to college together. (laughs) Who knew? But uh, Steelers get the win here, 32-23. And I believe Seattle was still in the playoff hunt. And we'll get the playoff scenarios here in a little bit before we talk about week 18. Chiefs, Bengals. Talking about this one here where the Bengals, they showed a lot of fight with six field goals here to give the Chiefs a 25-17 to win. Big time from him. And also, Rasheed Rice. He's looked like that second option besides Kelsey that can go and make some plays. He had five catches for 127. He's been the most consistent, I guess you can say, 
out of the other guys besides Kelsey that have really made some big-time plays when they needed to. And Pacheco didn't know if he was going to play this week. 18 carries, 130 yards. I believe he also had himself a pass-catching touchdown. And I'm just going to say it here. I've won a fantasy championship because of this man. So if I ever badmouth this man on this podcast, like, guys, keep me in check because and remind me, like, hey, this guy won you your first fantasy championship in eight years. I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, forget what I said. But Chiefs get the win there. They secure the three seed, 25-17. And they're looking like they're going to rest some guys next week. So next one up, Packers. Vikings on Sunday night. Jordan Love, three touchdowns. Aaron Jones has looked really well here as of late, going over 100 yards. And Packers' playoff hopes are still alive, and I think the Vikings are pretty much done, I think. So Packers win 33-10. to Jordan Love, 256, three touchdowns. He's looking really well right now. And they got the Bears on Sunday. So another NFC North matchup there for them to be concerned about. All right, let's run through some playoff scenarios here as we head into week 18. And there's still some teams that have got some stuff to play for as far as seeding's concerned. But there's a lot of teams that have some stuff to make sure they get into the postseason and see where they land. So Ravens, they got their stuff wrapped up. Chiefs, they've got their stuff wrapped up. Browns, they've got their stuff wrapped up, so they're going to be sitting, guys. Dolphins, they're still an AFC East title on the line with them playing the Bills on Sunday night, so a great capper to what should be a fun day Sunday with the Bills still having a chance to win this division title, and it's kind of crazy kind of the run they've been on here. So Buffalo... They win. If they win, they get the AFC East. Now, if, if it's a, for a playoff berth, they need either them to tie, or a Steelers loss or tie, or a Jaguars loss or tie, or a Texans Colts tie. So I think Buffalo is saying, "Hey, let's just win on on Sunday night." But you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Texans Colts and Steelers Ravens, since those two are going to be on Saturday. So, you'll know kind of what to play for on Sunday and see what happens on Saturday. So, let's see. Texans, Colts, Houston, they can clinch the South with a win and a Jaguars loss or tie for a playoff berth, a win or a tie from them, Jaguars loss or Steelers loss and tie, and the Colts. They can win the division with a win or Jaguars loss or tie. Or if they tie and Jags lose a playoff berth, get a win or tie, or have the Steelers lose or tie. And then for the Jaguars, they can clinch the South with a win or a tie or Colts-Texans tie and a playoff berth with a tie. Jaguars, Steelers loss or tie or a Steelers loss plus Broncos loss or tie plus Texans-Colts doesn't end in a tie. So a lot of this stuff depends on the Steelers as far as playoff berths are concerned. So AFC South should be fun to see who wins this race in the end. Uh, I definitely hope the Jags win on uh, 
on Sunday. I I don't want to see a Titans win. I, I'm still playing for that sweet draft pick, seeing where that lands, and I'm rooting for scenarios to play out this week in which they can move on up. So let's we'll see. That's a different side of this coin with these scenarios. It's the draft order stuff. Uh, for the Dolphins, if they if with their game on Sunday night, obviously they win the division if they get a win or they tie. Now I think there's some stuff that would need to happen. Well, I think they would they would be fine. It would just depend on seeding. I think at that point, or maybe that's clear too. Uh, Steelers, they need a lot to happen. They need a win plus Bills loss or a win plus a Jaguars loss or tie or a Steelers win or Texans Colts tie or them tying, Jags lose, Texans Colts doesn't end in tie or Jags loss plus Broncos win plus Texans Colts doesn't end in tie. So there's just a list of five things (laughs) that they might need to happen there. I think that is all the teams in the AFC as far as NFC, 49ers, they got their stuff wrapped up. They're going to be resting guys this week. Lions, they got the NFC North Division title, and I wonder if you know, there's still some seeding there left to play. We'll have to see. Maybe if Dallas loses to the Commanders, they find themselves up there, but there's still some stuff to play for for the Lions, Dallas, the Rams, and Eagles. As far especially for Eagles, Dallas as the AS, NFC East is still not official yet. So lots of stuff to play for there. Rams, they're gonna be sitting guys. I'm sure Cowboys and Eagles are gonna be monitoring what the other does, considering you know the and the division tiles on the line. You know, the loot whoever win, loses the division is gonna be the fifth seed. So they're gonna be keeping an eye on that. And we'll have to see if they set out some guys or not. But let's talk about these games for these NFC teams. And let's just do the NFC South. You know, it seems like these South divisions have gotten us into a lot of chaos here with their same records. And even though the Falcons are 7-9, they still have a shot to get in. Let's start with Tampa. They clinched the NFC South with a win or a tie or Saints loss or tie and they get a berth with a tie Seahawks loss or a Packers loss or tie. So the vision, they can still get it. Saints, they play the Falcons on Sunday. So that's a big game for both those two teams. Atlanta, they can get the division title simply with a with them being the Saints and a Buccaneers loss. For the Saints, they can win the division title if they win and the Bucs lose or if they tie and the Bucks lose, and they can still get in the playoffs with a win, plus the Seahawks loss or tie, or Packers loss or tie, or if they tie and Seahawks and Packers lose. So there's the NFC South. I don't know what it is with these South divisions, but man, they make it difficult. And you know what? I, the Vikings do have somewhat of a chance, but it's slim one. They're going to need a lot to happen. They'll need to either win at the Packers lose, Seahawks lose, and Bucks lose, or Saint um, they win, Packers lose, Seahawks lose, and Saints lose. So different scenarios there. And then looking at the 
Packers staying with them in the NFC North, they clinch a berth with a win or they got a list of six things. If they tie and the Seahawks lose or tie, Saints lose or tie, you also take that scenario, flip the Saints into the Bucks. You also take that scenario into number four, flip that to Seahawks tie or Bucks loss or tie. Or you need the Vikings to lose or tie, Seahawks lose, Bucks lose, or Saints lose. So a lot of different scenarios there for them. Seahawks, they have some scenarios left to play. They got to win or they need to tie to have a chance. And then they need the Packers to lose or the Bucks to lose or Saints to lose. And then for the NFC East and why the Eagles and Cowboys are going to be keeping an eye on each other, they clinched the Cowboys clinched the division with a win or a tie plus an Eagles tie or an Eagles loss. And then Philly, they can clinch the division with a win plus a Cowboys loss or tie or a tie and a Cowboys loss. So a lot of stuff left up to play for this week. And let's talk about these games right now. Let's pick them. And reminder, it's kind of like bowl season right now. These teams are going to be sitting out some guys, you know, start, starting with this one, Ravens, Steelers, with the Ravens sitting out some guys. Steelers are favored. You got Tyler Huntley back there. But Huntley has proven he can play, and he's a really capable backup. It's just how many Ravens backups will we see in this one? And do I go with my head or my heart here? Because I think from what I've read, I need the Ravens to win here. So maybe I just pick the Ravens and say, I'm I'm going with my heart here. I want the Ravens to win. Even though the Steelers, they got a lot left to play for. Man, Steelers are four-point favorites in this one. You know what? I'm going to go with my heart on this one. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Ravens. And, you know, I did say in the group chat, I'm going to need the Steelers to lose and the Chiefs to lose since the Chargers are ahead of the Titans as far as draft order. So I'm not picking the the Chargers-Chiefs game. So thank goodness I'm not going to have to worry about that one. But I'm going with the Ravens and then that one. I'm going to go with my heart here. Texans, Colts. Man, this is a bit... Honestly, this is a big game for both these franchises on what it means for them this season. Cowboys, you lo- you lose Anthony Richardson early in the, in the season. Shane Steichen's done an excellent job. Texans, D'Amico Ryans, C.J. Stroud, they've done a remarkable job. Houston's favored by around one and a half. And even though this is a road game for the Texans, I do like this story a whole lot for them. Honestly, the stories for both these teams are so good where both those guys should can, can get – consideration for coach of the year. Although it seems like Kevin Stefanski is picking up a lot of steam with the Browns. So I'm going to go with the Texans here. Jaguars, Tynes, you all know the drill. I don't need analysis for this one. I'm going with the Jaguars here. I'm hoping Trevor Lawrence plays and he's going to be good to go. And if he is, great. If he's not, I'm kind of worried here. (laughs) I'm kind of worried about C.J. Beathard and like, well, maybe the Tynes will be frisky and have a shot. You know, I think they'll be that way regardless if Lawrence plays or not. But with Beathard, if he starts, even more so. Uh, I'm going with the Jags there. Vikings at Lions. I feel like, are the Lions sitting some guys? I haven't 
heard anything about the Lions uh, sitting any guys. And I'm going to Google that right now and see if they are going to be. No, I don't. No, I don't see anything about the Lions resting any of their starters. So, with that being said, even I think I'm going to take the Lions here to get the win here. Now, maybe they'll be comfortable at some point in the game and they'll pull the, their starters. I, I don't know. Who knows? I, I can't remember who the the Lions backup is. It's either Bridgewater or Hooker. And if it's a chance to see Hooker play a little bit here, I'm all for it. But I'll take the Lions here to beat the Vikings and get the 12-5. and five. Good season for them. And again, seeding is still up for play for them, I believe. They could still get, find themselves in that two spot you know, when all is said and done. So they could be hosting a couple home playoff games, you know, obviously with the wild card game, two versus seven, and then in divisional weekend, hosting, I believe, the the highest seed left in the NFC. So it could, you know, if the Eagles win the division, Cowboys, they're in the five seed, take care of business on the road. It could be a Cowboys-Lions rematch. So who knows? We'll see. Falcons at Saints. Who wins this one between these NFC South rivals here? Saints, they showed a lot. They came back last week. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites in this one over the Falcons. Bijan has a chance to go for over 1,000 yards on the season in this one. You know what? I'm going to call it. I think he does, even though the Saints defense is pretty solid. I think he goes over 1,000, but I think the Saints get the win here. I think that win last week really helped them. They can build some momentum off that, and I'll take the Saints. I don't trust the Falcons really all that much with Heineke or Ritter or whatever they have at quarterback. So, hmm, Justin Fields might not sound too bad. Uh, Bears at Packers. I believe it was once upon a time sometime last week where the Bears still had a chance to get in the playoffs, but I don't think that's going to happen. Packers have everything left to play for. They're playing really well at the moment. Bears are too. It's at Lambeau. I'm going to stick with the home team here. Uh, Love has had a really good season. 30 touchdowns, 11 picks. He's really come on here after having a good start to the season. Middle part of the season was kind of eh, but here later on has really picked up his play. I'm going to go with the Packers here to win this one. But, you know, hey, if you're the Bears, you got a fun offseason to look forward to leading up to draft night. Cowboys at Commanders. Again, this Cow- Cowboys and Eagles, I mean, they're going to be keeping an eye on each other's respective games. Because who knows, maybe they could send out some guys. But if I'm just going straight, you know, pick them, I'm going to go Cowboys. I'm going to go Eagles here, even though it wouldn't hurt if the Giants won for the Titans' sake. That could help. I believe I've read, so I could be for that. Uh, Commanders, hey, listen, right now they're slotted at number two. Maybe they don't want to give that off. Maybe they're like, okay, we see where we're at, and we're not going to risk losing a draft spot here and letting the Patriots jump us if Patriots should lose or whatever against the Jets this week. So I'm going to take the Cowboys here and the Eagles. But again, these those two teams are going to be 
watching these these games like Hawks too. Rams, Niners, Rams, they're going to be sitting out some of their key guys too. So both teams sitting out some notable guys in this one. I guess I'll go with the 49ers here. I, I, I forget who the Rams' backup quarterback is, but even though it's Sam Darnold on the other side, eh, I, I like it a little bit better than whatever the Rams potentially got, so I'll go with the Niners here. Oh, yeah, Carson Wentz. That's who it is. Okay, I couldn't think of it for a second. It, it just you know popped into my head. Like, okay, well, I'm still taking the Niners, considering who the Rams have got sitting. They're big-name guys. So I'll go with the Niners here. Now, a game where nobody is sitting out. Bills at Dolphins. This is a big one for both these teams. And excited that this is going to be the night camp for Week 18 as we head into the playoffs. This is going to be a fun one. Mm, I want to say I've heard that the Dolphins might be missing some guys. I, I want to check. I, you know, I don't. I'm not for sure if Waddle's going to play in this one. Tyreek is less as questionable. Waddle's questionable. A-Shane is questionable. Mostert's questionable. Uh, hmm. We'll have to see. I don't know. I might be... I might be leaning towards Buffalo here. I'm, I might be leaning towards Buffalo here. The Dolphins have kind of been not that right here towards the regular season. You know, you had that Tynes loss, and then you had that loss last week. Right now, the Bills are favored. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go with the Bills here. I think the Bills get the division. <laughs> Who would have thought after the type of season they've had, like, uh, you could say, oh, no one in the division. They'll be fine. It's like, what are you kidding me? No way. But here they are. So I'm going to go with the Bills here in week 18 over the Dolphins. All right. With all the football stuff wrapped up, Let's get into some NFL stuff, real, some NBA stuff real quick uh, with a trade that's happened with the Knicks and the Raptors. R.J. Barrett, along with Emmanuel Quickly, and I believe another player, and I think a, a draft pick, going to the Raptors for O.G. Anubi, Precious Achua, Malachi Flynn, and I believe that's the between division rivals, too. So, in division trade here between those two. And, you know, Newbie's, it seems like he's been on the trade block for over a year now, and he finally gets dealt. And, you know, I kind of think it's a nice trade for both these teams. Anubi, great piece at the wing spot, 3 and D wing to go with Brunson and, Jay, and Julius Randle. Best thing I think about this for the Knicks, though, they still have all their first-round picks. They still have their arsenal of first-rounders. That if there's somebody that they like, they, they want to add, and then they can do that. Now, with Emmanuel quickly, you know, nice piece. But I think, you know, with him and Brunson, you know, two similar stuff right there. So it makes sense. And for the Toronto side of things, I love it as far as that R.J. Barrett's going to get to go back home, going to get to play for Toronto and be one of the big pieces there. He's had a solid season, and he's going to get to play in Toronto 
right now. So that should be fun quickly. I think we'll be fine there. That team needs some scoring, needs some threats out there beyond the three-point line. I think you can definitely do that. So good fits for those guys. And also a pressure to Chua. Uh, that's a good fit for the Knicks too. Mitchell Robinson, they're going to be without him. So getting some front court death is going to be big for the Knicks. And maybe that's where they attack down the road with those first-round picks. Maybe there's a big man on the block that, I'm like, hey, let's go get him. So I like this deal for both these teams. I think it makes sense. And uh, I th- I'm excited to see what transpires out with these players going to these new teams and what happens. So excited about that. And, of course, I'm going to get Charles on. We're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about the season up to whatever point we uh, get on and talk about it. So I'm excited to do that uh, whenever we get to do that. So looking forward to that, talking some more NBA, getting some more hoops action here as we transition off of college football and get some more NBA stuff. So happy to do that and ready to talk about what's been going on this season despite what's going on with my Grizzlies. So we'll leave that for a later time. So with that being said, everybody, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Again, be sure to check out the pod where you guys get your podcast. Give us a follow. Give us a rating and review. YouTube, find us 573 Podcast. Like, share, comment, subscribe. All that good YouTube stuff. And find us on Twitter at 573 Pod. So that'll do it this week, everybody, for this edition of the pod. Hope that you guys have a good rest of your day. Have a good weekend. And we'll talk to you all next time.